This is Higher Education, a podcast brought to you by Catapult Solutions Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Higher Education, a Catapult Solutions Group podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. Always a pleasure getting y'all's eyes and ears on some more Catapult content so you can better understand some of the ecosystems that are impacting the day-to-day of our work lives. As we continue with our topic today, I want to make sure you're all caught up on our content, previous episodes and otherwise. So make sure that you're heading to our website, catapultsg.com. Again, that's catapultsg.com. On there, you'll find plenty of information about our solutions and services, as well as other pieces of content like white papers, blogs, videos, and more. You can also subscribe to Higher Education on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new episodes of the show. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be exploring the growth of a rising faction of laborer in the workplace. And no, we're not talking about remote workers or the hybridization of the workplace or even the gig economy. This worker is plugged into various business processes, overseeing day-to-day operations to improve efficiency, enhance the efficacious use of tools, and drive all departments toward their most important business goals. Well, we're talking today about the digital laborer which for all intents and purposes is a bot, right? It's not a physical worker here. The digital laborer, which is a digitalized process that complements human tasks in various fields, is brought into the workplace today and brought into digital ecosystems to generate efficiency, reduce errors, help scale, help with compliance, and deliver consistency and quality. So integrating digital laborers into day-to-day work has been a coming trend for decades, if only magnified by the accelerating pace of tech improvement in recent years, as well as the even more recent trends of two-plus years of workplace and work-life disruption, which placed a lot of uh, pressure on companies to operate lean and reduce waste as budgets decreased and the larger macro economy stagnated. Regardless, the typical office worker of today does most, if not all, of their work digitally. And as more touch points in the workday are supported by layers of cloud connectivity, software platforms, data analytics, all these digital ecosystems are more complex and layered than ever before. So naturally, this brings challenges, right? Cumbersome workloads, confusing use cases, chances for misuse or underuse, and Overall, having tools that are meant to simplify work actually make work more complex or inhibitive or just too much of a mental barrier to really ever get accustomed to. So this is where the digital laborer comes in. And we wanted to pose the question and give you some answers and strategies on how can companies today put AI-powered solutions to work for their IT or digital operations without reducing functionality or impeding common business processes, and rather elevating the existing workforce to do better and more meaningful work. Well, that's enough of my intro. Let's get to our guests for today. We're going to break down this topic with uh, great detail and make sure that y'all walk away with some actionable insights. So here to give insights are our two guests. First up, Richard Negron, Chief Information Officer at Catapult Technology Services. Richard, welcome. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you again for your time and perspectives today. And we're also joined by Mark Shivers. He's founder and CEO at Ignite IPA. And Ignite IPA, uh, or Intelligent Process Automation, is a company that offers solutions in opportunity assessment, solution engineering, designing, operation model strategy, and scalability support of various digital automation tools. Mark, great to have you on. How are you doing? Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Richard. Nice to see you again. So I want to give a quick opportunity to let both of y'all um, give our audience an elevator pitch for your background in this space and why your perspectives uh, intersect with the topic, right? Uh, why we should be, you know, listening to y'all basically. So give us that uh, quick elevator pitch, Richard. We'll start with you on uh, some of your career touch points and where they intersect with today's topic. No, absolutely. Well, thank you, Daniel, for giving me the opportunity. So basically my background, I'm a software engineer by trade and I have been developing applications for a long time. Now that I am part of a Catapult a Solutions Group where we now build out a new business unit, a growth unit called Catapult Technology Services, we are now focusing on solutions for clients in the IT space. Knowing uh, and having the background of software and what the power software can do to enable clients to be more efficient and create uh, additional value for the operation, uh, we are thinking of building out a practice where we can offer automation with the personnel that we are giving our clients. So combining both of them to provide ultimate value. So thinking about the power of the two of the digital labor with the actual uh, personnel providing that exceptional value to the client. So we are looking forward to providing more insight into this topic. And now we'll jump over to Mark. Mark, same question for you. Uh, give us a little bit of your uh, history and background uh, at Ignite IPA and even before Ignite IPA and just how it intersects with today's conversation. Sure, thanks. So uh, again, Mark Shivers, founder and CEO of Ignite IPA. IPA stands for Intelligent Process Automation, not Indian Pale Ale. Um, we basically at, at Ignite IPA are a boutique but global consulting firm solely focused on this new intelligent process automation industry. Intelligent process automation basically is a suite of technology that operates around the edges of like your core ERP platforms, your core, you know, agency management systems, you know, your core plumbing around your organization, where generally people have historically been filling the gaps between technology, this new intelligent automation sphere, you know, now helps automate those fringe holes in your technology ecosystem. So at Ignite IPA, you know, again, we're a boutique consulting firm supporting a variety of industries from financial services to, you know, hospitality, insurance, manufacturing, supply chain, healthcare, you name it. You know, we're supporting those industries as a specialist in the IPA space. And for me personally, before I was a, uh, I started Ignite IPA, I was a career consultant, you know, basically looking at high value margin preservation, margin enhancement opportunities for anything from Fortune 100 company down to like the nine person accounting firm. And what we did was we basically did Lean Six Sigma analysis, identified value in, in change, some of that change being automation, some of that change not. And where we found automation, we would apply the right technology for the right problem. And we were basically known as the, the team as a client. So actually in a Fortune 100 bank, 
I was the purchaser of this software. And we implemented about a thousand digital workers, you know, saved a couple hundred million dollars and, across our clients. And, and at this point now we're taking that, that show on the road to, uh, to all of you. Perfect, Mark. Thank you again. And uh, we appreciate you jumping on the podcast and bringing your third party perspective here. It's going to be very necessary. So folks, let's jump in. Again, we're talking about the digital laborer. And what I want to do before we get into some of the strategic implementations is understand the why here, right? I kind of laid it out in my intro, but I want to get y'all's thoughts more completely. I think to understand that why, we got to understand what some of the issues are in managing digital tools and uh, managing digital processes in the office today. So what do y'all see as some of those main challenges that are impeding day-to-day office work as a result of the increasing digitalization of all of these business processes and new and new layers of data, cloud connectivity, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think it starts with this like, more of a macro level conversation around what we've been through over the past two years, right? A little cliche, but it's the truth. You know, we had this pandemic that pushed us home. We're now getting more used to technology. However, there's a workforce right now. Maybe previously it was kind of the conversations around the proverbial millennial generation and their aptitude or willingness to perform menial operational tasks now compounded by this labor shortage, right? You know, Tons of companies right now have open jobs, open recs, but can't find the right people at the right price to fill that hole, to fill that you know personnel role. So I think that compounding with maybe a market change right now, where you know the, the market is slightly dipping and uh, companies are kind of worried about expenses, you know, potentially looking at their market outlook over the next few years and wondering you know how to keep those margins balanced, right? So how to either lower my expenses in the you know, in a struggling revenue environment, right? Or how do I just grow in an environment where I really can't hire people, you know, to fill more operational, more administrative roles? And I think that kind of, you know, rounds out from my perspective why this new digital labor, this new digital worker is is kind of front and center in a lot of conversations I see, you know, in many businesses. Let me dig in even more specifically here with y'all too. More recently, we've had two major trends shape office work. Uh, The first one is uh, the hardest one to ignore, right? COVID and work from home, uh, which introduced a lot of new digital tools and I think also identified some of the existing gaps or kind of faulty processes that dominated a lot of day-to-day digital workloads. Uh, But then there's the other Uh, major trend that's been shaping office work, and that would be the expansion, the increasing expansion of user-side data analysis as a focus for new tool investments and kind of the selling point for why companies are even investing in new tools. Because the end user, right, the the employee is going to have all this great data to work with. However, bringing all that data to the forefront introduces some issues too, right? So let's break both of these down. First, the COVID work-from-home effect. How have... um, I guess, more remote workers or more hybridized workers and the need for more digital collaboration and management tools shape some of these operational burdens of staying effective and efficient throughout the workday. And how does that intersect with our topic today? Yeah, I think, first of all, you know, I think COVID helped the automation environment. It helped the acceptance uh, of automation in the workplace. Whereas previously, you know, there was resistance. You really have to sell senior management into automation when before it was a a concept of if I wanted to reduce 
my expenses. I might use a labor arbitrage. I might, you know, look for an outsourcing arrangement. You know, I might look for people, but just at a different cost, right? Because it was the easy money, right? But now it introduces a concept that automation is a viable solution. And now we're more accustomed to automation, even in, in our lives right now, where we're accustomed to using Teams, uh, Microsoft Teams or WebEx or, you know, a variety of different um, Zoom meetings to interact with people, right? It keeps us in that digital environment. It also eliminated one real hurdle, one big hurdle uh, to an automation opportunity, which is paper. You know, I mean, we all kind of went home during COVID, right? A lot of operations were pushed back uh, home. So you really can't take those paper files with you and move them from person to person, right? You actually have to have a scanned environment. You have to have those pieces of paper now digital, right? Those records now digital, which also fast forwarded the opportunities for automation in the workplace. So I think, you know, COVID had a lot of, you know, big impacts negatively on our, you know, on who we are as a, as a culture and as an economy. But I do think that, you know, the work from home environment fast forwarded the acceptance of, you know, a more digital automation environment. Okay, absolutely. One thing I wanted to, to add to that is users, the remote users are already experiencing the automation. They don't know it, but it's behind the scene. And I'll give you an example of that, uh, especially IT folks that are working remotely, right? Programming software for companies, uh, doing cybersecurity, doing IT work where they require server capacity, right? They need 10 servers, all of a sudden they click a button and 10 servers are provisioned on their behalf within minutes. Well, something is happening behind the scene and it's not a human doing it. It's, it's a process that has been well-defined to address the request from the user to do it right all the time. And what happens is the benefit is your reduction of errors, your experience is enhanced. There's a lot of good side effects of the automation, but it's not being disclosed to the end user that there's computer bots doing the work on their behalf, but they're experiencing it. We just bringing this topic to light because this is, I believe the moment where we can empower the regular user. I'm not talking about IT users, the regular user. And you will see as we go through this podcast, be able to actually contribute in creation in creating these automation processes and be completely part of them. Just having a digital person sitting right next to them. And now let's jump to the other major workforce trend here that I think, you know, if anything is being compounded by the COVID work from home hybridized workplace effect. And that is the data visible side of these tools, right? That as new tools get added, kind of the reason why is because they provide more data. They are more customizable on the end users end, right? Uh, which is great. It adds a lot of opportunities uh, for, um, you know, more insightful business decisions, day-to-day um, decisions about workload and efficiency. But of course, without understanding the tool completely, uh, it could create some uh, use issues as well. So my question here is, how has this emphasis on actionable data and data-informed decision-making in more tools created some of those opportunities for errors or lack of efficiency? 
right? What are some of the more specific things that you're seeing uh, around this trend and why are these issues important to solve? Yeah, I think data has been undervalued for a while. And I think only because the operations themselves weren't data rich. Now they're data rich. Back to my example before, when you have, you know, paper files, right? Uh, I actually had a client um, pre-pandemic and they were taking file folders and that was their client file and they were moving them around in a cart back and forth to different operations users, one for processing, one for quality assurance, back and reject work, right? And there'd be note sheets inside of that file in terms of what happened, who signed off on it, right? And then the file later on at the end would be scanned in, right? And that, that physical file was actually their paper. Like we all know that whether we were there, you know, three years ago, 10 years ago, uh, we all remember those manila folders being passed around. Well, there's no data in that process unless it's at the end and you're doing research on an indexed file. Now, for example, each stage in the process is data rich. You can get timestamps on without digital workers, just in a, in a more digital environment, you know, timestamps on when it was handed off, who signed off on it, who rejected it. All that data now is, is, is available to make decisions on, on automation. And, and that data has actually helped the automation game quite a bit because now you can start to ascertain what value am I getting out of automation, right? If you can tell it takes a process, you know, 10 hours end to end to complete, right? Touch time. And it takes five days in processing time, like total end to end processing time, right? You now have manageable metrics that you could use in, in an ROI story to figure out how much is this automation going to help me from a financial perspective, right? That's what we all care about in the end. We run businesses to provide for our clients in the end. The end goal is to, you know, provide for our shareholders, provide value, right? So now having actionable insights into how much this automation is going to save because I have access to the data that will tell me that gives light to a whole new investment in automation. That's that's great, uh, Mark. Uh, One additional area I wanted to mention was, is the regulatory side of things. For example, when COVID showed up, it generated a complete new industry in a demand, for example, for hospitals to report on the numbers, the data on COVID back to the mothership. But just think about the pressure now that they had an additional form to go online to fill out to report those numbers. For us, the consumer to benefit, if we only had 25% of the information, we were making decisions on 25%. But if all hospitals reported at the same time, all the numbers gathered, we had a complete picture, we can make decisions. But we all know that did not happen that well because the virus caught us by surprise. So all these hospitals were struggling. Oh, I need more personnel. I need, I now have to comply with this by a certain date every month and submit that information. This is where the digital laborer can help. And this is why it's very important these companies consider this now because who knows what's going to come later. So you are prepared. You're not, you don't want to think, oh, no, I'm going to solve with the labor all the time. If this is the old way, I'm going to put five people to do this job. Well, what about if I have a mechanism that I can quickly complement my existing labor with a digital labor and be able to scale 
and handle that additional demand. Yeah, that's a great point, Richard. I mean, we see it all the time where sometimes the time to build a digital labor, the understanding of a process is even shorter than the time it would take you to hire, you know, someone to fill that gap, right? This technology, the digital labor technology and intelligent automation, you know, is such a nimble solution. Uh, it could be almost applied across multiple, you know, platforms and the rules could be changed almost, you know, almost instantly uh, with the right, you know, background technology. So I think we've gotten a good, um, you know, summary uh, and analysis of the main motivating factors that are pushing companies to look for solutions like a digital laborer, right? Like that um, layer of automated uh, processes that support human work. When we actually look at these technologies in practice, right? What does a digital laborer actually look like in a day-to-day? -day? How is it actually used, right? Walk us through some of those common touch points and how, um, you know, a, a traditional worker in an office might end up interfacing with a digital laborer. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a, a you know, a broad understanding of what a digital laborer can do, right? It fills the gaps where, you know, the current technology solutions end and a human might pick it up. But just to kind of educate the community here a little bit more about like what is intelligent process automation, that this new digital labor ecosystem. So there's a couple of different technologies that make up the concept of intelligent process automation, right? Um, one would be, let's just say the ingestion of, of data, right? So we, we've all been used to like, you know, the call centers, we pick up the phone and we have, you know, uh, the call center technology, which translates, uh, it's called IVR intelligent voice recognition translates our voice into into data right there's this new uh topic on an old spin where we take data off of a piece of paper it used to be called ocr optical character recognition right now it's called intelligent data processing idp just another name for you know the same idea of taking data off of paper but in this case you know the concept is digitizing paper using machine learning using these digital workers so that instead of building templates to look at let's say an invoice as an example, right? So I get an invoice that comes in via email, right? Now I open up that invoice. Uh, previously, we'd have to develop a template for every invoice type that comes out. So your phone bill, your utility bill, your, you know, your, your name the next invoice, right? Now what happens is, as opposed to building a template, a bot or the digital laborer is smart enough to watch our human workforce actually circle or highlight the data fields they wanna pull off the, the piece of paper now digital image and put them into a system, right? So the robots actually watch using machine learning and extracts the data from a document, whether it's, you know, anything from an invoice, uh, uh, bill of lading in a manufacturing environment. Um, it could be a loan document, an accord form in, in uh, insurance, maybe a health claim form, right? Any type of document, structured or semi-structured, it could take the data and it could actually digitize that picture into uh, data for downstream processing. Right. That's called intelligent data processing. You know, I, I kind of touched on some examples there uh, for that new intelligent data processing arm of this uh, this automation ecosystem. Now, one of the key, very understandable um, use cases would probably be in, like I said before, your invoice processing. Right. So we had a client actually ask us to automate uh, a huge. AP process where they had about 20 people manually taking data from one piece of paper 
typing it into an accounting system, making some high-level decisions on where to put it from a GL perspective, and then entering it in the downstream system from a GL reconciliation perspective. So we went to this client, we applied this new intelligent data processing technology, and we were able to take that you know, 20-person heavy data entry team down to about 10 people that allowed the client to then redeploy the other 10 people into other areas that they were short with, from a staffing perspective. So this client specifically struggled with hiring people for more operational or more finance operational tasks. So they took people who respected the organization, they eliminated the need for them in the accounts payable process, and they redeployed them into other like deposit ops functions, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a GL reconciliation function, so on and so forth. Um, so it was a very big win. Again, 10 FTEs and benefits that they basically just used the internal staff to backfill uh, for their open recs. Um, so big success, kind of a little explanation around what is intelligent data processing there. And I, and I can give another example that I was um, involved with one of our clients. They, they were in the growth mode. The transactions were expected to increase. So the traditional request, we are a staffing company as well. So national uh, uh, traditional request to us is I need more people. But now that we have Catapult Technology Services, we can have a conversation with that client, normally asking our recruiters for additional work, personnel, what do you need those people for? What are they going to be doing? Because we can find another way to save you on the task that you want to achieve with those new personnel, right? And we found out that the reason those folks were going to be hired was something that a digital laborer could do. And we actually documented the process, built the digital laborer, implemented it, and they avoided adding the new personnel that they needed. Not only that, once they realized what was the digital worker doing, they said, can it do this? Can it do this? Can it do this? Because they realized that the mundane type of work the repetitive work, the compliance work, things that are prone to errors by humans being involved in that particular transactions, and they're repetitive, they're well-defined, that's a perfect scenario for us to automate and have this digital worker be able to do that. But most important is scalable. We were able to create this digital bot that handle thousands of these applications coming through to the client without a human being involved. And if there were any exceptions in the process, the bot interacted with a human to complement the transaction and move things forward. So it, it, it's just seeing it work and talking to clients that actually have uh, experienced the value of it is, is priceless. Yeah. That's a great example. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, you know, very similar to what we do. We call, we call a different piece of that robotic, you know, workforce uh, RPA or robotic process automation, right? So, you know, I think, Richard, what you're describing is the ability for a digital worker to mimic human interaction on the keyboard and mouse clicks, right? So, you know, as most of us have big operations teams, right? And, you know, they're fairly mundane work in, in, in data entry, right? In some of our organizations, or maybe they receive requests, 
and they have to do research into a downstream system to pull, let's say, an account balance or an order up on the screen to do some research to see their order status, right? Research on a purchase order, understand uh, an individual client's health account. That's all kind of mimicking human interaction by going to a portal, bringing up a, 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 a data set, right? And then making decisions based on the data set. Most of those decisions are rule-based, right? There's, there's a high amount of rules-based decisions in most of what we consider thought work, right? RPA mimics human interaction on keyboard and mouse clicks. It basically allows us to take over a computer with this software and allows a digital worker to represent us as humans, you know, entering information into platforms, right? The difference between how a digital worker generally operates and what we normally consider automation is that a digital worker touches the user interface of a system just like we would. So the reason it's called robotic process automation, right, is it kind of looks like a robot on the screen. It goes into uh, the systems, the portals that we use every day as people and operation staff. It types in its username, its password, and then it could basically control the system just like we do on the user interface. Whereas historically, we're used to automation that goes, takes data from one database, you know, and translates it to another database where two databases talk together and they bypass that user interface, right? Very neat new technology, which allows one automation system to interact with multiple downstream applications. So historically, people usually get frustrated with big automation programs. Why? Because, you know, you have three different system owners probably having to get into a single project or program plan together to automate one end-to-end -end process, right? Sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze. With RPA, you're, you're enabling us to integrate with the user interface, right? So that means one system touching multiple downstream applications. Now, yes, you have to coordinate across those applications, but it doesn't take a, you know, a behemoth plan. You don't have to you know, call the mainframe data owner to get them on a project plan to make sure that they have three months to where they can dedicate their developers to this. You know, this is a technology that's generally governed by IT, but because it's so low code, it's sometimes managed by the operations uh, teams as well. So very neat new technology in this intelligent automation sphere called robotic process automation. What are you seeing as some of the domino effects of allowing employees to be more intentional and more confident in their work with the support of a digital uh, laborer, right? Because naturally, you know, there's the first domino, which is that they can be more intentional, more confident, more efficient in some of these processes. But once you start to trace that down the line all the way to you know, a, a company's um, KPIs or um, some of their, you know, even business model decisions. Mm -hmm. how, how do you start to feel that as an essential puzzle piece in the direction of the entire company? Well, I think I've seen people and digital workers working harmoniously in, in a number of operations. So back to the conversation before about like the data surrounding an operation, before digital work workers applied to an operation, it's just people. There's the same KPIs, the same metrics, the same SLAs, you have the same reporting that you would normally in an operation. If you apply a digital worker, because a digital worker operates like a person does using the user interface with the username and password, all the same KPIs, all the same metrics exist. So whether you have Mark Shivers as an employee doing the process or a bot complementing Mark Shivers, we're both, we both exist in the same reporting mechanism. It's the same reports, 
right? It's the same throughput, although digital workers don't take breaks, you know, they don't go on vacation, they don't need coffee before they, you know, they can be trained not to make a mistake. You know, they are 100% accurate the way they are trained. And those metrics apply are applied in the same reporting mechanism that you would apply to a fully manual process with people, right? So, you know, what I find is people in an automated process working side by side with digital workers, many times they're scared initially, right? Because they think it's the Terminator coming in. But when they realize that it's not Skynet and it's just basically, a, for lack of a better term, a dumb robot that can only do what it's trained to do and can take the robot out of their day-to-day job, right? Take the F2 button process out of their job, right? Take the straight mundane data entry where we we glass over, you know, in our eyes and, and just type the same thing and maybe we're humans and we make a mistake. It takes that responsibility away from humans so they can be more human, right? They can make intelligent decisions, right? They can perform more client satisfaction uh, type uh, client experience activities as opposed to just hitting the F5 button, migrating through a mainframe screen, and then waiting for a, a, an error to be, you know, pop up on the screen to, to research, resolve, and communicate that back to a client, they're actually spending more time with the clients, right? So what I say is nobody goes to college for a four-year degree and says, let me hit the F2 button all day long on a mainframe screen. Some of our organizations still need that, right? But wouldn't it be great to take that responsibility away from those people so they could actually understand the purpose of their job rather than just understanding the standard operating procedure that allows them to get from point A to point B, right? You also not only increase the throughput, the accuracy, the efficiency of your operation, but what I've seen in in many instances is you increase employee satisfaction with their jobs. So back to the concept before about not being able to find the right people to do menial tasks, right? Well, now you're asking for more cognitive work, more cognitive responsibilities, which probably also benefits you. It sounds like it's a it's an oxymoron, but by applying digital workers, you'll likely be able to attract more valuable resources and retain them for longer as well. Absolutely. And another t- topic on, on, on this side is the compliance side, right? Mm. Where, I mean, there's certain things that you have to meet. So it's a trade-off. You got to meet this deadline. So this has to stop. We got to do this. When you have that particular scenario, if you can evaluate the process and what you're doing to meet your KPIs and the compliance that you have outside of your company, depending on what type of company you are, then you will see that, hey, we can do more if we can include in our ecosystem this digital laborer. And I, I, I will repeat what you said, Mark. The employee satisfaction is incredible. Nobody wants to every morning go and do the same thing over and over and over. What else can I contribute to the company? Why don't we just put this aside? Maybe a project that we have delayed, delayed because we are in this mundane process. We can't focus on, even though that person has the skills to be able to do that, we need them doing this, right? There's so many different ways that companies can be creative when they taste the power of a digital labor working in harmony with the rest of the, the personnel. Absolutely. There's another uh, layer here that I want to give some actionable uh, tips to our audience for, but uh, you mentioned RPAs, Mark, and what we're seeing is that as the need for the digital laborer increases, so does the need for the RPA to be 
accessible and easy to implement. So these RPAs are increasing, excuse me, are increasingly taking on the functionality of prosumer products. So they're highly functional, uh, they're robust, they're customizable, they allow for a certain level of end user input, but they're not fully open source backends, right? Because naturally they're meant to be used by most any end user in an industry. Uh, so that can you know help avoid confusion um, with too much functionality, right? You have every option available. You don't know where to start. Uh, in practice, this is creating a lot of citizen developers, right? Business professionals with no coding experience or maybe some basic HTML understandings now needing to or at least being able to recode their digital laborer solution for their needs. Walk us through some of those dynamics and some of the uh, advice or strategies that you're giving your clients to take on that level of customizability, but do so in an easy way, in an accessible way, and in a way that actually uh, improves their workloads. Yeah, it's a good question, honestly, and it's one the industry is struggling with right now. The, the citizen developer concept came out right around the time that that RPA was taking taking hold in, as a as a mainstream solution, and I think that the two were mashed together almost incorrectly, right? So although RPA is more of a low code, no code type of solution, it's it's not that it can't be done by a citizen developer, but every time it's paired with a citizen developer mindset, where uh, there's a bot on every desktop or everybody gets to use a robot, what I find is that too often the robotic implementation becomes more expensive than it generally is worth because you have people sitting buried in an operation automating what's important to them, not asking senior management what's important to them, right? So the issue is when, you know, I'll use the Sally example. When Sally takes on the citizen developer role, Sally tries to automate 10 minutes of her day because that's what's right in front of her right now. Now, she might spend a month trying to automate this process on the side of her desk while doing her work. But in the end, she's only automated 10 minutes of her day. So is it worth it? And let's say, for example, it was pushed into production. It is worth it, right? Does Sally, the citizen developer, understand what happens to the environment behind the scenes around exceptions, right? Around how many bots is she actually using, right, to offset the 10 minutes of her work, right? So what I find is sometimes, although you can develop it, right, and you're given that responsibility, with responsibility, or with power to develop comes responsibility to control, right? And I find all too often is that if you don't apply some kind of governance or rigor before you start out in your journey, you know, and you start just with citizen developer, most of those fail not because it's not implemented correctly, but because the value just isn't there, right? So I actually consult my clients to stay away from the concept of citizen developer until they've experienced it in a centralized, more of a center of excellence type of concept where they develop the best practices around how to use it, around what we should be putting into this ecosystem, right? Around what is the ROI for each project so that the senior management understand the value of what they put in using robotic or digital work workers there and can set the tone for when we release this broadly into our organizations, we do it systematically so that there is value and there's guardrails behind what's developed. Right. As one example, you know, the, the, the operational process we define is more of like a, we call it a hybrid model. It's like a hub and spoke. So there's a centralized center of excellence that governs what goes into the machine. But then there's small pods of people inside of each organization that can be tapped on the shoulder to build those automations. Right. So if Sally does have in that example, something meaningful to the group, maybe or for a handful of people, 
where it saves not only her 10 minutes a day, but it saves 10 minutes across the, the 20 people in that group. Well, maybe that is now something we should develop. The Center of Excellence approves it, and now Sally can go and develop that. Or Sally's, you know, counterpart who's trained on that, you know, uh, RPA software, right? So citizen developer, you know, is, is kind of a, a concept paired with RPA. And although it can be low code, no code, I believe just the value proposition kind of pushes most clients away from that into a COE model to start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's the return on investment, right? We have to we have to be able to demonstrate that working with our clients, the clients have to see it. And uh, there was a term uh, used when cloud came out uh, where people were provisioning for themselves at shadow IT, right? Everybody was going out there in building their own servers and doing their own thing. And then now it created another business of discovering what's out there that we should have control. So we don't want to start this way with, with, with the bot and RPA. We want to make sure we have the right visibility, governance, the center of excellence that like you said, Mark. So when one project start, it's all tied up all the way up to the scorecard that the company wants to achieve with the implementation. Yeah, and you know the concept of center of excellence sometimes seems overburdening, right? Many companies that I kind of consult for, it's really one or two people to start with, and just to build the best practices around, you know, what goes into the machine, how do we develop it, what are the guardrails for our company that we'd like to set, you know, to make this thing successful as it broadens, right? So it's kind of like, you know, so many companies are waiting to start for the right model, the right tool, the right solution. You know, my experience across a number of different clients has always been, look, it's relatively inexpensive, right? It's the cost of like an offshore resource to get, you know, started with this thing. Don't overanalyze how to do it. Don't overanalyze which tool to use, right? The best thing you do is get in there for the cost of maybe one person part-time looking at the tool, developing it, you know, and a digital worker license um, to get you started. You're going to learn so much in the first three months. That process for your company, the governance model, the center of excellence, however you decide to roll this out, will be very apparent after the three months versus taking six to 12 months to analyze what should we do. And I find a lot of companies are stuck in this analysis paralysis. And when you show them the cost of this, it's almost like, oh, I'd spend more money analyzing whether we do it or not than just starting. You know, and that, you know, I implemented about a thousand bots at a client and that's how they started. They just jumped in feet first and said, we know we're going to use this somehow. We don't know where completely yet. We don't know how broad it's going to be. And that, you know, that built out a thousand person, a thousand digital worker farm. But they said, let's just start with a few and let's get used to this. And this was back in 2015 before anyone really knew best practices around RPA, uh, best practices around, you know, uh, intelligent data processing. And it was really just for low cost. You could just get started yourself and don't don't overanalyze. Hmm. Absolutely. And just just to close on this particular question is the platforms are so powerful today that we can accelerate and deploy a proof of value fairly quickly. I'm talking a matter of weeks. And the customer can experience what what is doing, how is it working. I mean, fairly quickly. So this is not months, months of work. I mean, it depends on the complexity of the business, how much they want to roll it out into the company. But in order to see the value 
it's one small scope, well-defined, well-measured, that is replaced by the digital laborer, the value will be proven in very short period of time. All right, Richard, Mark, I uh, want to throw y'all a final question here for some final thoughts. Uh, but basically, uh, what would you like to leave our audience with then in terms of actionable insights, strategy, advice, right, for them to consider implementing their own digital laborer ecosystem into their workday? Walk us through those final thoughts. Yeah, I touched on it before slightly, but it's, it's really, look, I, I haven't met a company that hasn't found value in leveraging a digital worker yet. And those are companies from the nine person accounting firm all the way through the Fortune 100 financial institution and everything in between. The variety of use cases, the amount of value that each company, even in the same industry can see from digital worker or the use of digital workers uh, might vary, but it's not very hard to find out, right? You know, we're, we're called Ignite IPA. Everything has to do with fire for some reason. And we have this concept called uh, an intelligent automation heat map and within a matter of two days, sitting with, uh, you know, management teams, understanding kind of which processes have been automated in the past. And, you know, just a high level overview, you know, 15 minutes of each process, we're able to come up with a very easy to use automation heat map to at least get the juices flowing around. Will this thing work for me? identifying one area to pilot, as Richard said before, and then just jumping in with a, with a quick proof of value um, for each client. And I would say just don't overanalyze it. Um, the technology is out there. It's being used by likely your competition uh, to increase their margins, lower expenses, grow through automation. I would say if you haven't seen it already, if you haven't used it yet, now's the time. Absolutely. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're not using it, your competition probably is. So this is a time to look into it. And I will recommend, and if the, I mean, the search engines are there for you, you can go out there and Google it, but we always hear and we will provide free consulting services. So we'll give you 30 minutes. We'll talk about the subject with you, your particular challenge, and we can give you a neutral right? Recommendation of what to do, how to do it. Uh, so you can reach out to us for such uh, consultation. Perfect. Richard, Mark, thank you to the two of you for your time on the podcast today. It's really been uh, a pleasure and incredibly useful to understand the dynamics at play, pushing digital laborers onto the workforce, and a better understanding how to make sense of a digital laborer for our audience. So again, folks, we've been chatting with Richard Negron. He is Chief Information Officer at Catapult Technology Services and Mark Shivers, Founder and CEO at Ignite IPA. Richard, Mark, thanks so much for your time. And Mark, I'll leave a last word to you here. Where can folks find out a little bit more about Ignite IPA? Uh, you can find us on the web at www.igniteipa.com. Dot com uh, or send us uh, an email at info at igniteipa.com uh, for any questions. Uh, you know, again, free opportunity as, uh, assessment just to get you guys started. Um, I'm a, a big proponent and evangelist of this uh, digital worker technology and, uh, you know, hope to help uh, many of you out in the near future. 
Perfect. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Higher Education, a Catapult Solutions Group podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want previous episodes or you want to make sure you're all caught up on future drops, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure that you're heading to our website, catapultsg.com. Again, that's catapultsg.com. And for more information about Ignite IPA and to get in touch with Mark, make sure you're also heading to igniteipa.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Higher Education.